few online clients, bit of online work for JPS, and then just yeah, a bit of chilling out, training as much as I can. Yeah. What about you? Me, man, it's just try and use this time as effectively as possible um, to better myself from coaching online to you know a lot of the education pieces with Orphic to running this podcast to my own podcast to my own studies through university. Um, you know, the, the list is I'm just trying to keep preoccupied as much as possible through all my responsibilities so I can come out of this period better, you know? Yeah, 100%. What are you studying uni? I am doing a exercise and nutrition science double degree um, to give me okay. both caps so I can then, you know, have that holistic understanding of, of both ends because you realize very quickly that over the years I have a great interest in understanding the body holistically like there are so many body systems and they all interrelate and it's something that you know we end up treating the body in isolation a lot of the times and you know the stuff you do at JPS the stuff you do with your supplementation obviously has to infer nutrition it has to infer lifestyle sleep like it can't be blind and so that's where my great curiosity comes from well let me try and understand and be the best generalist possible with the human science of the body so that is the the road the long never-ending road that i'm on that i'm sure you recognize absolutely start first go go for breadth first work 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 out where your blind spots are and when you find your niche go deep yeah and that's a a conversation i've had with many people it's like well when do you do that like do you niche like when do you do it how should you start i mean where did it start for you actually describe for people who don't know who you are like what's what's the one minute elevator pitch who you are your background um and how you came to be where you are now yeah cool so my name's aaron hoey i'm a coach and educator at jps health and fitness and it all started for me uh growing up in a small rural country town uh, called Katunga, which is about 30 minutes north of Shepparton. Um, I grew up on a dairy farm, and up there when I was growing up, my, my primary interests were milking cows, football, and training. And I really fell into the whole health and fitness aspect, uh, probably for two reasons. One, to improve my confidence and to try and get girls, which was relatively unsuccessful. Many two, to improve my That's... sporting performance. <laughs> It's how, it's how most of us start, man. Right. And yeah, second was just improve my football, improve my kind of sporting performance. And that took me, um, when I graduated high school, I moved to Melbourne, uh, settled into life in the big smoke. Uh, I started studying a double major, so a Bachelor of Science, majoring in biomedical science and exercise science at Victoria University. And I did my best to supplement my tertiary education with as much development um, and like internships with various like private sector coaches as I could to try to have both a practical knowledge and a, that theoretical understanding. And um, I was lucky enough that Jacob from JPS saw a little bit of potential in me and he took me on as a coach in 2017. And since then I've been coaching my own in junior bodybuilding and junior powerlifting at a national level. And I've just been continuing to develop as a coach and educator and trying to learn as much as I can in an industry which is incredibly saturated knowledge but also incredibly saturated nuance and it's basic it's borderline impossible to be able to truly perfect your craft in this field so we're all just on the path to continually learning as much as we can man i really like how you phrased that you you said 
nuance. And I think that gets missed and not considered a lot of the time in this health industry is that we paint black and white, right? It's this way or it's that way. But it's not a lot of the time. There is huge biological variability between people a lot of times. Yes, we share about 90% of the same DNA, but there, there is genetically there's differences biologically epigenetically we respond differently lifestyle stress the there's endless examples how do you as an educator as a teacher as a coach critically think to be able to pass out the nuance and and be able to analyze things with like a fair uh approach that's a really good question and i think that um for starters, I find it's really useful to have, um, like, as you said, we are like 90, 99% similar. So because of that, it's a good under- it's, it is really useful to have a good understanding of what does constitute average. So you can start there and you can look there, but then also knowing that there's going to be responders on either side of the spectrum, um, like under usually under like a bell curve distribution where 97% of the population fits under two standard deviations from the mean and if you can understand that then you can you can um have an approach where you you give client what is going you, you give the client what is going to be optimal for the majority of the population but then you have checks and balances in place so that you can measure their response and from there you can usually like be able to integrate some kind of model where you can increase or decrease um whatever it is you're trying to administer so in order to get the desired outcome so yeah, rather than kind of looking at a client saying, is this going to work or is this not going to work? You're really looking at like, to what degree does this work? Like what's the effect size of the, um, the like the, um, like whatever I'm trying to administer. And from there, you're able to really assess what changes are made, how it was influenced and kind of, yeah, like that's in, in essence, what I'm trying to get at is, uh, like science is very like you apply some kind of intervention, you have a hypothesis, you measure, you get results, and then you're able to ask further questions. And that process should be able to be administered to a lot of our clients. Well said. Yeah, that's that's a great summary of especially the bell curve, the distribution and standard deviations. Do you find that, well, let's talk about supplementation, right? Give a background mm-hmm with your affiliation with Bulk Nutrients, um, who we've recently partnered with, which is how we came across you. Give us some background on that. And then I'd like to co- have shift the conversation to, to supplementation, how that relates to exactly what you're talking about. Cool. Um, yeah, so like Bulk Nutrients is like an Australian-owned company. Um, I think it's a in, in a in a market which is incredibly saturated by just lots of high-end marketing, but not a whole lot of knowledge of the actual science but behind supplements. I think Bulk Nutrients really stands out because they really care about their products. It's a lot, um, a lot, a lot less work goes into making it like as sexy as possible, and a lot more work goes into making sure that like the quality of product is really high. Um, JPS has partnered with Bulk Nutrients, and I'm associated with JPS. Um, so yeah, bulk nutrients is just one of those really trusted sources. And if I want to inquire or have any specific questions around the supplements, they're always really, really quick to get back to me, which I, um, fully appreciate because I think that when you're looking at things like supplements, which can have 
a really large effect on someone's health if implemented incorrectly. You want to have full disclosure about what's going on with the products um, and like how successful they are, how they've been tested and like the full ingredient lists. Absolutely. How do you go about prescribing supplementation? I know everybody's seen those pyramids, right? And supplementation usually is one of the lower tiers. But I think a pyramid is actually a really yep. poor way to even display the uh, influences that different um, interventions and different facets of health have on people. So it may be instead of thinking like a pyramid, like a matrix, like where everything is, mm -hmm. it's like you're pulling levers. One goes further towards another depending on the time, the situation, the context. How do you think about pulling the lever of supplementation in regards to yourself and coaching clients? How do you figure out reverse engineer what supplementation is right for which client? Um, just a general overview of your principles around that. Yep, sure. So for starters, I actually personally don't mind the pyramid, but you have to understand the limitations of that, that pyramid structure. For sure. So the pyramid, the actual pyramid itself, which you've probably seen, is uh, muscle and strength pyramids for nutrition. And basically what it's got is it orders, it, sorry, it lists um, some variables in order of their effect size. So if we're looking at someone's body composition and health, you've got something like, like you've got your yeah, adherence and lifestyle on the bottom. And then from there, you've got calories, macronutrients, micronutrients, timing, and then supplementation at the top. So for the average individual, the effect size of supplementation is going to be smaller by comparison to the rest. However, that's the limitation of this is that that is not applicable to every individual and every individual is going to be potentially different. For example, if you've got a client who is anemic and has iron deficiency, it's like they could be consuming like the, the best macros or the best, um, like the best energy balance for them. But at the end of the day, they've got insufficient iron in order to function optimally. And they're going to have consequences as, as a result of that, like namely going to be like brain fog, lethargy, um, like inability to recover from training sessions. And that's not going to be able to fix them unless you actually um, address the crux of the issue, which is their inability to um, either absorb iron or just insufficient iron intake in the first place. Um, that's just a really quick example about the muscle and strength pyramid and how I view um, the utility of that resource because I think it's a really valuable resource. It's important to understand that, yes, there are different variables which will have, on average, a different effect size for the individual, but just understanding um, when, the, when the nuance does matter. Um, in regards to your question about a like a comprehensive framework of how to uh, use supplementation for, either for myself or for clients. Uh, for starters, I'd probably address what not to do. And I do see this quite a bit in the industry. So the first thing is do not use massive lists of supplements and just prescribe supplements for the sake of appearing smart. Like a lot of people start prescribing lots of these because if the more, the more products I list and the more products I can name, the smarter I seem, and then I'll be able to, like I seem like a bit of a guru because I know my, I know all my vitamins and minerals back to front and I can recite the Krebs cycle. But in reality, I just because something works doesn't, like what's the effect size? If it works yeah. this much, is it really, is it really beneficial? Like, is it really worth your client who's already spending potentially hundred worth you trying to convince them to fork out hundreds of dollars more a month for a supplement which is potentially going to yield very 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 little um, return on on their health and performance 
Um, so that's probably one of my main criticisms of supplements in the in the health and fitness industry. Um, on top of that, just there, yeah, coaches who have huge cookie cutter lists of supplements and just prescribe the exact same supplementation in the same doses to clients. So I think that's um, a relatively like a coach, um, educator kind of nutritionist. Um, and people who prioritize supplements over the big rocks. So when I say big rocks, I mean making sure that you've got some basic training, some basic nutrition, some basic stress management, sleep, make, making sure you prioritize those things. And in with my clients, I actually have a bit of a saying called earn your supplements. And that means that clients actually have to earn the, their supplements, like un, unless, of course, you've got an extreme circumstance. Like if a client's iron deficient, I'm not going to tell them to earn their, earn their supplements. But I like deficient. to have clients show me that they... Yeah. I, I, I like to have clients show me that they can nail some basic basic training, nutrition, lifestyle habits before we start delving into the real nuance of trying to optimize certain variables because there's only so much that you can supplement like poor lifestyle and training nutrition habits. That's actually, yeah, that's a really good point. Actually, I, as soon as I said that, they've earned it. They actually haven't. I disagree with what I just said. It's like we can modulate so many of these deficiencies with nutrition and lifestyle. Like, you know, we could even look at things like gut health, which can, you know, end up taking certain minerals and metals from the body, sucking them up, or they can end up secreting them, right? Depending on the specific type of gut ailment, like negative gram bacteria. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. But with your supplementation, what are your big rocks? Like, what are the what do you find like has the biggest effect size um, for their dose, you know? Okay, cool. Yeah, so... With any client, when I go through this kind of thing, I do a bit of a needs analysis. Like what, what is the client's limiting factor in their health or performance um, objectives? And you also, alongside, alongside that needs analysis, you have to do like a cost versus benefit ratio to work out like, okay, what's what's the cost of giving me a supplement? Because it's never free. Like there's going to be cost, whether that cost is um, potential um, side effects to do with health, um, other medication they may be taking um which is like just another risk or even just money like for a lot of clients like if finances are being pushed especially at the moment with covid like people might have lost their jobs um they have to pay for those supplements so the cost is always an issue uh, sorry that like cost is in like the cost versus benefit like there's always going to be costs but there's also going to be potential benefits and you have to be aware of what those benefits are for those populations so for an example, a lot of the time, most clients who come to me, if you do kind of like a brief overview of their diet, they're usually lacking in protein. Most people, unless they're like a derimate bro who literally only eats protein, most people consume relatively low protein diets. Um, the general guidelines are around 1.6 to 3 grams per kilogram of body weight, depending on um, like, how, like how well trained you are, what kind of phase uh, you are in your training, nutrition journey and preference. But 1.6 for me is a bit of a minimum factor. I don't see, I see that most people probably benefit greatly from just like a health and longevity standpoint by increasing their protein to about 1.6 grams per kilogram body weight. And a lot of like, a lot of the time I'll get like, I might have like a really stressed out mom who works like, like full time. She's got young kids and she come, comes to me, we go through the diet and she eats maybe like a little bit of meat at dinner and that's it for protein for the day. And she's consuming about 40 grams a day mm. of protein, 
when realistically she should probably be having 100 to 120 as like a minimum. And in that case, like we really need a little bit more protein in your diet. Um, also like for someone who's only, who's consuming like that little protein, there's potentially going to be some nutrient deficiencies there, like potentially like iron, zinc, magnesium, those kind of, um, those kind of, yeah, vitamins and minerals, which can be found in like your meats and seafood. So for someone like that, like that, they're, they're kind of the immediate things which we need to address in order to create just like a more whole, whole balanced diet. Um, so for someone like that, like protein powder might just be like the first thing you kind of whack in. Like, would and you are, you don't say take this protein powder. You say, would you be open to taking a protein supplement? These are the benefits which you might have from having a slightly higher protein diet. And you probably don't jump from straight from 40 to 120 grams per day, but you might say, okay, we're currently having 40. Let's keep it as is. Let's add a protein shake. So that's going to be an extra 25 grams. So then you have a week at 65 grams, and then you you, may, you might add a little bit more red meat or a little bit more seafood. Now you're up to 90 grams a day. And then within a month, you've taken Susan, the soccer mom from 40 grams of protein a day to 120 grams of protein a day and potentially um, taken out a few nutrient deficiencies by saying, Let, let's include some some oily fish twice a week. Let's include some red meat twice a week. Um, and just like, yeah, trying to get a little bit more balance and variety into the diet. However, that's going to be completely different for like a Derrick bro, for example, who's eating... 400 or 500 grams of protein a day who's absolutely slamming slamming protein 400 to 500 do you know people eating that much protein yeah i've, I've seen i've seen three to I've five seen, times like, body weight for some people yeah well they're probably about they're probably like 90 100 kilo blokes so yeah four to five grams per kilo Jeez. which is a lot and like so that again like if you do a needs analysis that's a real like does that person need a protein shake? Probably not. If anything, you might be actually trying to get some protein out of the diet. And maybe seeing their macronutrients split to get a little carbs and fats if they're just absolutely slamming protein. So a good cost like cost benefit um, like analysis and a good like needs analysis for each individual client is going to assist you in uh, being able to have a more comprehensive approach to prescribing supplements. Well said. Uh, I like the simplicity of protein. I think it gets missed a lot of the time in the, you know, we try and make things fancy and complex with this supplement and that and this lifestyle habit. And, and you know, it's like, well, protein intake, like it's going to help mitigate sarcopenia, which is age-related muscle wastage for those mm-hmm. who don't know. And that's so important for your aging parents and, and individuals. Before we continue though, Aaron, I want to check because the internet connection has been coming in and out. It's been a little bit. I've been able to understand you mostly, but is there anything on your end that you got going on in the background? Maybe, maybe some streaming or some torrenting. Um, I don't know. Um, I'll just spot. take my phone off the Wi-Fi. Nah, just Wi-Fi is a little bit dodgy in old Tullamarine. Ah, that's no, all good. We'll make it work. Um, okay. Make it work. The supplement protein, like so important, I think so understated. Um, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Now, going from there, Mm -hmm. what else are your big bang for buck uh, supplementation um, protocols that you you put in place from maybe a vitamin and mineral micronutrient perspective? Yep, sure. So um, from like a vitamin, sorry, a vitamin and mineral perspective, 
there's a few there. And again, they're a little bit um, like context dependent on the kind of individual which you're trying to administer them to. One of the one of the first ones I go for, and usually this is this is almost this is almost prescribed all the time to my clients after they've had a blood test, um, because I do like to screen with blood tests if possible, because blood tests can pick up on a fair few nutrient deficiencies. And realistically, as a personal trainer, um, like we're not dietitians, we're not general practitioners, and we really have to be careful. Um, when we start pushing things on clients, if there's not going to be any real benefit, especially when we talk about def- like when we talk about vitamins and minerals, because a lot of these vitamins and minerals aren't necessarily going to yield any benefit unless there is a deficiency in the first place. Like a lot of your B vitamins, for example, are like water soluble, and so if you've if you're just taking lots and lots of B vitamins in, you're probably just going to excrete them through your urine. So, um, like a basic kind of blood test, getting some results. That's all. That's going to be really beneficial. And one of the big ones I look for is vitamin D deficiency. Yeah. So vitamin D deficiency is really, really prevalent in Australia and um, in, in like in United Kingdom, for example. So I know for a fact in Ireland that government's actually taken action because vitamin D deficiency is so prevalent with their um, lack of sunshine hours, especially during winter, that they actually fortify a lot of their dairy and a lot of their um, like seeds, breads and cereals with vitamin D. Now, we don't necessarily have that in Australia. And as a result, I've seen some varying statistics. It's hard to get it really accurate, but usually the um, literature states that anywhere from 70 to 90% of Australians could be vitamin D deficient. And, like, that's a lot. And I would dare say that that would potentially be higher this year because of COVID restrictions, lockdown, most of it it inside, desk-bound, rarely getting sunlight. So I think that vitamin D deficiency at the moment and just like a good vitamin D supplement is a really, really good bang for your buck. Um, one of the benefits of vitamin D supplementation is because uh, vitamin D is a fat soluble vitamin, you don't necessarily have to take it every day. You're, ne- you're more so looking to get a certain amount over the course of like maybe a week or over a month. So what I like to do is I get my, um, I can't remember the brand. I think it's called, I think it's called now, but I, I get it off iHerb and I get 10,000 IUs. And the recommended do- like the recommended dosage of um, vitamin D is about seven th- like five to seven thousand IU's a day. However, we do get some of that from like sunlight if we do go outside. But I'll take like maybe like five or six um, tablets, and I'll just like bolus dose it with a like a high fat meal at the start of a week, and that usually that that kind of amount should keep you going basically for a week. So I like to get clients onto that, especially if they're vitamin D deficient, and. Um, yeah, if they are deficient, you do usually need high concentrations. Um, but like a, a doctor or a, dieti- a doctor or a dietitian will usually talk you through the kind of dosages which you may want to be taking depending on what your levels are. All right. Yeah, um, in regards to, yep. Oh, I was just gonna say, um, in regards to other vitamins, probably my biggest go-to um, for some clients who are at risk of like B vitamin deficiency. Um, a lot of them like women on the contraceptive pill because contraceptive pill has been known to deplete a lot of B vitamins. Um, I like, I really like Thorne's um, B complex, yeah, like by Thorne, Thorne research. Yep. I, I think that's a really, really um, good B complex. Uh, there's a few different ones with like different kind of concentrations of like um, specifically, I think there's one which is like specifically uh, like a riboflavin high. So like B2 is like a fairly, fair bit more concentrated but there's like a few different ones but most of them would be pretty good bang for buck just in regards to um, b vitamin supplementation for a lot of clients Um, and if your client either doesn't want to get the 
the the B complex or they find it's a little bit expensive because it is pretty expensive. Biocuticals has some pretty decent B vitamin complexes, which I usually go to. And I didn't mention so before, but usually for like creatine and protein, and I I almost always go bulk nutrients because um, they're just really cost effective, high quality supplements, and they don't have like, they don't fill their proteins with any like additional things which are just unnecessary. Mm-hmm. To- totally agree. Um, w- with bulk nutrients and like. I would have said this anyway, regardless if we had a sponsorship. But I think if you had, a, if you were affiliated, it's like it's just the product. Like it's no frills, it's no fancy. I know exactly what it is. It's very cost effective. Mm-hmm. Like I just want L-glutamine. Mm-hmm. I just want creatine. Yeah. I'm just getting that, and I'm getting it in a big pack, and it's so simple. And they're not trying to add Literally. extra stuff and make it extra fancy and put all the fluoro colors on it and trying to sell. No, just give me the actual product thank you and they do the great job at that yeah it's really it's really really good for um like I've, I've got a lot of blokes who are pretty no nonsense as yeah. clients like they don't want bells and whistles nah. and I'm, I'm like mate bulk, nutri- bulk nutrients you get six months worth of creatine for 20 bucks off you go and they're like done <laughs> like, it's very simple it, nothing fancy about it yeah it's, which is good which is good so we've touched on some really key vitamins minerals we talked about iron vitamin d we talked about protein creatine we touched on um Mm -hmm. and b uh b vitamins with that complex Mm -hmm. pretty solid complex for the average bell curve of people okay pretty good sign but how do you reconcile the gray area that is recommending supplements and nutrition as a coach, right? Because I've interacted with this, you know, I've spoken to people like Dave O'Brien about this, you know, guys as amazing as him and people alike to him who aren't quote-unquote dietitians or biochemists or GPs, but they see amazing results and they have a really solid education behind their protocols that include blood work analysis and supplementation um, recommendations. Mm-hmm. How do you reconcile and, and understand when would be the right time for a coach and trainer to start prescribing and recommending those things? Um, that's a really good question. And I'll probably start this answer by saying that like i like i follow a little bit of dave o'brien's work um super super knowledgeable guy knows his biochem and science inside and out um that being said also dave also probably deals with a lot of clients with underlying health issues which i don't get exposed to um simply because people don't usually come to me for that reason like dave will probably have people who literally seek him out saying hey i've had eight years of gut issues I, i need help um, what can you do for me? And Dave's a lot more knowledgeable than there, and he's actually able to go through those things. Whereas I'm a lot more likely to get Susan, the soccer mom, who walks in. She goes, "I've got tuck shop arms. I need to get rid of these." And we're like, "Okay, Susan, like let's start from the start. Like let, let's go through the like the big rocks, the basics. We'll get into like we'll get your blood test. We'll have like we'll, we'll screen for some really basic nutrient deficiencies like iron, vitamin D. We'll see what your sleep's like. We'll, we'll, we're going to address those things first, and um." Just knowing your limits as a practitioner is also important. If I've got a client and I'm giving them things which is in with, which is within my wheelhouse and I'm not getting results and they're continuing to face issues, that's probably when I, I say, look, I, I don't know the answers. I'm, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to refer you out to somebody who has studied this for more years than I have, who has more experience in this area than I have and is probably going to have a better 
chance of getting you the results that you need. Um, and like, there are people out there who um, have like, like people like Dave O'Brien. I think I can't pronounce his last name, but Jake Deleshnell, I think it is. Yes, I know like, Jake. Um, He's great. Yeah, yeah. So like those guys, like, like I look at their methods and I'm like, look, that's not what I would do because I am not necessarily like confident in like understanding all of the processes around necessarily what they do. However, they've got runs on the board. They've got results. They're able to back up, like back up what they say with results. Um, so like, yeah, they might be the kind of people that I might refer out to. Mm. Otherwise, like just um, having good relationships with other allied health professionals. If you know a really, really good gastroenterologist who's worth their salt, if you know a really good endocrinologist who's worth their salt, you can go back and forth with those kind of um, like professionals who've studied like a specific area. Like we talked at the start of the podcast about breadth and depth. It's like if I'm referring out to an endocrinologist, they've probably spent seven, eight, ten years studying the endocrine system. Like I'm, if I've got a client who's um, like got really, really bad testosterone levels and I've had a few in the past and they go and see an endocrinologist and we kind of draw up a, a like a plan of attack moving forward that contains training, nutrition and supplementation interventions and then we go from there um, and I've got the backing from that expert, I can be a lot more um, exact in my prescription, a lot more confident in my way of like prescribing some of these interventions because – I understand that someone who has, who knows more than me has kind of approved that framework. Mm. And um, like, yeah, especially in the health and fitness industry, like you can't know everything. Like it's, it's impossible to know everything. It's impossible to be an expert in everything. So understanding your limits and like for sure, back, back yourself in, back your knowledge, like have faith in your understanding and the hard work that you've put in studying all these things. But if you are unsure that there's never shame in, asking for help or reaching out to someone else who potentially knows a lot more than you do. Very well said. I think that's such a, that's a great answer because like we think sometimes we want to handle it all. I've been there. You want to tackle it all. You, you know, you're a coach, you're coaching the human body. So you think you can solve all these human health problems, but there's so many and you're not going to be able to tackle them all at once. And somebody else is going to be able to do them maybe much more effectively and efficiently than you right now so refer out then you can have a team of people working together to get towards a common goal more effectively 100 100 i do find that um well not just coaches but all practitioners in general like a lot of us because we spend our entire days solving problems and answering questions we often looked at look as look at ourselves as a real authority figure and sometimes the ego can really get in the way of actually actually giving the best quality product and best quality interventions to your clients. Um, I found that reaching out um, like to GPs, for example, and like I've got a few like ready-made letters which are written up and I try to be like really respectful and stroke their ego a little bit because sometimes practitioners can get very offended when you kind of reach out for help. Like they can say like, like, Oh, like I don't, I don't want to work with you. What do you know? You're just a PT. You're just a coach. Especially. A couple, a couple. So it's a, a main, mainly when reaching up to um, certain like like higher-end health professionals. I'm not, like only a few, yeah. only a few, but I have had it before. But that's just why like, hey, it's like at the end of the day, it's like we're trying to get the best result for your client. Like your, your job as a coach is to help manage your client's health. And if you far, think that it's in the best interest to refer a client out, then that's what you should do. 
Absolutely. Well said. When you did your studies, um, you did, mm -hmm. let me see, you did uh, biomedical sciences and exercise science. Is it the, the double or, or yep. majoring in both? Yeah, so it was double major. So I, I, like I majored in oh, both split. exercise science and biomedical science. Yeah. When you did that degree, what did you, because mm -hmm. like there's limitations in all tertiary education, but there's also great benefits to building a foundation. What do you find were the biggest gaps in knowledge for you when you did that degree that you had to plug that you would want to make future students aware of? Yeah, for sure. Um, for starters, I found that like I'm, I'm very happy I did the double the double major. I found that the biomedical science stream that I was in was um, just full of really really competent students, um, like 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 high achievers, people who like strived really hard, studied hard, got really good results. A lot of them probably missed out on on medicine by by this much, like by like by a fraction. And as a result, a lot of them were, were trying really hard in the biomedical stream to get good enough marks to be able to study postgrad medicine. So I was surrounded by um, a cohort of individuals who were very intelligent, um, very conscientious, and um, yeah, they, like they worked hard, they got good results. The the actual course itself was relatively solid, like lots of like just high end theory, lots of physiology, biochemistry, um, like a little bit of like pharmaceutical science. Um, pathophysiology and I found that the theory side from the biomed degree was excellent like I gained a really comprehensive understanding of, of a lot of theory however from a practical standpoint there was almost nothing in that biomed side mm. because realistically that degree equipped you to do further research or further study like it wasn't the kind of degree where, where you finish it and you go out into the, the real world and dominate like it was literally a stepping stone course um, that being said, like, it, like it was, it was good. I do not regret doing that at all because I think it does set me up in future for like more tertiary education. Um, and I think the exercise, the exercise science course, it had some parts which were good, but I find that it kind of lost itself in the sense that it was like exercise science is a really broad field, and I think that a lot of people go into exercise science because they want to coach or they want to do something something similar to what we do. Like they want to coach, they want to educate, they want to do that kind of thing. But the, the, the course itself seems to be geared between either becoming a PE teacher or doing the clinical, like the exercise, exercise physiology kind of stream and working with like diseased and elderly populations. So I think that there's a real gap there for the kids who are coming through in the exercise science stream who want to be high achievers, who want to be able to understand physiology to a high degree, to be able to sort out what's true, and what's not true, who want to work with like high profile individuals, or even just want to be able to deliver really high quality services to like general individuals. I think that, um, yeah, like, I think that the overall standard of that exercise science in regards to, like physiology, biochemistry could definitely be picked up a bit, like make it more difficult, make it more challenging. Um, and then, from the like the biomed perspective like more practical skills for sure and um, i'm really really grateful that i supplemented my tertiary education with some free internships lots of shadowing um other coaches because i gained a much more comprehensive understanding of um how to apply the more advanced theory to the real world mm. and i think that a lot of my cohort that went through with me um the majority of them 
don't have those skills because they never they never went through any kind of practical system. They just had the theory and they got out and most of them have um, just gone on to do further study, uh, which isn't bad. Like, like there's, there's always um, options there. Like if you want to become like a researcher or a scientist or I've had a few friends who go on to do physiotherapy, but I think that um, given the, like the sheer amount of people who want to do like be high, like high level coaches, like really high quality PTs, I think that the university would be, um, would be, should be inclined to deliver courses that help with like employability and like kids getting good jobs in the workforce. So implementing that theory with the practice. You've said a lot of really relevant things. I kind of, my brain got a bit, um, went like, oh, I want to this, this, this. Um, would you, first thing, with biomedical science that you studied, which gave you a super comprehensive understanding of the mm-hmm. theory of uh, anatomy, physiology, mm-hmm. biochemistry, um, pathophysiology, yep. would, you ins- would you actually recommend for students thinking about becoming a coach and trainer, or just starting the exercise science, would you actually recommend they change over to biomedical sciences or and or something else that you would consider as well? Um, I think it, uh, it does. It does depend on what kind of trainer or coach you want to be. Like, I think it's very important to have, um, like, to reverse engineer your like, your career. Like, decide what kind of coach I want to be, and then work backwards from there. If you just want to, if you just want to work with, um, like just everyday people, you want to like, um, just like yeah, just be a really good coach, like make like make people enjoy their sessions, like some basic kind of habit change and formation. Your personal skills are going to be so much more important. Like your ability to communicate and connect with people is going to be invaluable by comparison to learning the Krebs cycle. Like you can, you can, you can know everything about oxaloacetate and, and all of like acetyl-CoA, but if you can't have a general conversation with Susan, the soccer mum and convince her to, to get a step count up and eat some vegetables and get more than three hours sleep a night, you're probably not going very far as a coach. That being said, like a lot of people, if you want to take that next step, like if you do want to be um, the kind of practitioner that, delves into the real nuances, gets into the weeds, um, potentially like um, work, like works with supplementation, that kind of thing, then you need to be able to understand physiology, biochemistry at a higher level. And I do think that um, like a biomed degree, like a pharmacy degree, they're going to give you uh, a lot more knowledge and scope in that particular area in comparison to an exercise science degree. However, there's always going to be a trade-off. It's like, for what you gain in like biochem and physiology, you're probably going to lose in some other aspect. Great point. So, like, th- th- there's a there's a massive opportunity cost to learning. Like, to learn one thing is to not learn something else. And so, understanding what you want to do, what skills you require, and then um, like where your blind spots are, what you have to invest in, in, in from a knowledge perspective to pick up, what you can probably don't have to invest in because you might refer out in that instance in in the future. Like just understanding that is going to help you make more um, precise and accurate choices about your future education decisions. You said something really kind of profound and important. What is it? To not learn... To learn one thing is to, to learn not, something. Yeah. Is to not learn something else. Right. Very simple. To, to learn something is to not learn something else. And so in that case... 
Where do you think, and maybe to shift the conversation onto probably one of the bigger weaknesses that a lot of health professionals have, and that's the ability to communicate articulately and understand change behavior and psychology, would to learn something is to not learn something else. In that case, would you shift where a lot of young coaches learn to the behavior, human behavior side? How would you... How would you educate people on that side of coaching? Um, yeah, that's that's a really good question because I think that it is a massive, massive limiting factor. It, like getting getting clients to be able to to do what you want them to do in an ethical way is like is it, it's an absolute conundrum. I mean, I, I, so I've like I've read a little bit of like persuasion science. Like, in, have you read have you heard of influence by Influenced by Robert um, oh, who's it by? Is that his name? That's the one. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Have you read that? I haven't read it, but I've I've heard of it and I've dabbled in those ideas. Tell me what yeah, you've been learning so from. Like, yeah. Well, so like just to um kind of like paraphrase for those who are, who are unaware of those kind of um texts, but um influence and there's also um like Machiavellian intelligence. If you've heard about like Machiavellianism. It's basically like the ability to be able to like to manipulate and influence people in order to do something which is good for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that the more you learn about that, it's a it's a real like it's a slippery slope. It's a bit of a rabbit hole because you learn it's like, wow, I can get people to do what I want them to do, but that is as a coach, that is only good if it's in both of your best interests. Um, otherwise it's pretty unethical. Like a lot of like um, like advertising companies are going to use a lot of kind of influence techniques and persuasion techniques in order to get you to buy a product or subscribe to their services. And I think that um, knowing a little bit of that kind of science, I've found to be pretty cool in just understanding like human cognition, how you make decisions, how you can have biases, which are going to like gear you towards certain behaviors or products and things like that. Um but like before, just getting back to the question that you asked about um, the best way to kind of learn psychology, I think that the best way to learn about psychology and behavior change is to, one, have a bit of a finger on some of the more like the literature and the theory around um, cognition, biases, distortions, behavior change. Um, but to be able to have real world applications where you can actually see that, like you can see it in practice. And as a young coach, having a client list is the absolute perfect example like you you want you want susan to start doing steps like she's currently doing two thousand steps a day she's pretty desk bound we wanted to get seven thousand steps a day how can i convince susan to get seven thousand steps and like there are numerous ways you can do this like some more manipulative than others but um like just basic communication and some like basic basic kind of like psychology around um like habit behavior formation could prove really beneficial so one, outline why you want Susan to get the 7,000 steps. And you can do that by like appealing to her value. So what does Susan value? Does she value her health? Yes. So you can say, Susan, if we get 7,000 steps a day, this is going to make you healthier um, in these ways, A, B, C. And you can like outline the, the benefits, the cardiovascular benefits of just being more active on a day-to-day basis, um, like increasing VO2 max, decreased in resting heart rate, increased longevity, increased cognition, those kind of benefits. If she values that, she sees that as a beneficial practice for her to engage in. And from there, you can um, then you have to implement an action plan. 
And from there, you might say, okay, what do you enjoy doing? You enjoy listening to music? How about we go for a one thirty-minute walk a day and you, you listen to some, some music you like? Because now we're pairing something enjoyable with a task which we previously weren't doing to increase the likelihood of us doing that because now we're making that task more appealing to do. Um, some basic kind of psychology in that sense and just like articulation and communicating why a certain behaviour is beneficial is going to um, assist that client in being able to achieve that goal. Just noted down just one thing you said and that was relating to the values, right? Because, and I think that was really important because what you want to do is you don't want to stick a round peg in a square hole. For example, I think a lot of coaches and health professionals, they deploy their own, and I've done this before, you deploy your own agenda and dogma of what you think optimal health is, right? And you try and plug yep. that into the client. 100%. You try and like overlay it. It's like, oh, this, oh, if you did this, this, and this, you could be a superhero. You could feel amazing. You could tick all these boxes. But a lot of people don't actually want to tick all these boxes that you want them to tick. They might just want 100%. to like look better and just have like a bigger thighs and glutes and just be sexier in the mirror, right? But you're telling 100%. them you got to do this, this, and this. It's overwhelming. Yeah, I agree. Like, um, appealing to your client's values and beliefs is one of the first ways where you can actually um, really get inside their head in a way where you're influencing their behavior in a mutually beneficial um, perspective. So if a client really, really wants to, like let's, let's say, for example, like I've had this before, you have an older client that comes to you, like a 45, 50-year-old woman, um, like like cares about like her appearance and things like that. And you're telling her that we're doing a seated row or a face pull in order to grow her rear delts. She, like she doesn't care about growing her rear delts. Not at all. That's not what she came to you for. But if you say, if you say, Lisa, we're doing this to improve your posture, all of a sudden it's, ooh, ooh, I like this exercise because I want good posture. I want to be able to have my shoulders pinned back and I don't want to be all hunched over as I get older. So simply changing the way which, which you phrase a certain behavior changes the client's attitude towards that behavior because you're now appealing to some, to a, an aspect which they deem to be beneficial or desirable. Absolutely. And I'm note taking these things as I'm going along just to like, because I don't know if you, when you do your coaching, right? Do you have yep. templates and do you have like systems that you use once a client gets in the door? What's your system from like as soon as you, you initiate a, or a client contacts you to that you end up coaching them? What are the questions you ask them to gather that important information to assess where they are on the change behavior yep. scale, pre-contemplation, contemplation, what, um, wherever that is? Yep. How do you determine that? Um, that's a really good question. And in my opinion, that's a really ongoing process. Like that's not the kind of thing that you knuckle down in one, one hour session. That's the kind of thing that you go over in an hour session. And then I sent through a questionnaire on top of that initial consultation. So in the initial consultation, I try not to, I really try not to grill my clients too much in their initial consultation. I try to just like, like care about them. I care about what their goals are. Uh, what they want to do, um, like how can I help them, like uh, um, how I'm planning to help them, like kind of the gym gets you moving. For some people, they want 
they want answers. They're like, okay, like, what's the plan of attack? And you have to be like, pretty on your feet. You have to be like, right, we're going to do X, Y, Z. And that's going to help us achieve A, B, C. Um, but that's going to come down to just the kind of individual which they are. Uh, but yeah, so in that initial hour, I try not to grill them too much. I'm really com comprehensive questionnaire, which is probably around oh, eight to 10 pages. It's, it's pretty full on, like it's a pretty full on um, questionnaire. That being said, I get a lot of feedback based on how they answer the questionnaire. Like if I get massive paragraphs of slabs for all these questions, I'm like, right, this person is invested. Like this person is, this person is good to go. If I get one word answers and like a few like blunt answers, it's like, mm, they, they, they're probably just looking for some training. They're not super interested in like the nuance. They just want to get moving. They're after some results. They're like they don't want to put in a hundred percent. I've got one question, which is like a scale of one to 10, like how committed are you to reaching your goals? And I've got what a 10 looks like, what a one looks like, and they can circle where they think they belong. Um, things like that. And, but um, and if I, if I don't get the questionnaire back at all, that also says a little bit about the kind of client I'm dealing with as well, which is fine. Like that client just might want to, they might just be looking for two half an hour sessions a week and they don't want to think about it when they're out of the gym. But that is two half an hour sessions a week is good for their mental health. So in that case, I do what the client wants and we just have a good two, two 30 minute sessions a week. Um, in regards to like when you asked about like gathering data on a client, as I said, like that, that kind of process is always ongoing and I'm always trying to ask questions sometimes directly and sometimes I'm relatively um, um, just like, yeah, subtle about how I go about it, but you, you should always be continually screening your clients to work out like where their head's at, what their motivations are, what their intentions are behind certain actions. Um, I think that's really important these days because some things fly, like some things go completely under the radar with like a questionnaire and then you might get into week five or six and you find out that they're, they're skipping social occasions because they've got anxiety around food and you're like, right, okay, now that's a big red flag which we need to address because we are potentially working with someone who has a bad relationship with food or a potential eating disorder. And so if you can like ask some subtle questions around that, then you potentially might be able to refer them out to a professional relatively quickly and then you're well on the way to solving something which potentially flew under the radar at the start very very interesting okay so from there then mm -hmm. you take them you so you're at a point now where you're coaching you're open to coaching pretty much anybody right it's not is that is that accurate like you're gonna whoever comes to you you will assess and work with regardless of their level of commitment is that accurate um i'd say so yeah i'd say so i think that because some some i think people surprise you and i think the more you coach the more you realize people can surprise you some people come in the door and like for people who aren't like us gyms are a really scary place which can induce a lot of anxiety like if you're an if you're like a really overweight person and you've only ever thought of gyms as really scary places like you're not going to be wandering in the gym full of like full of hot air going, fuck yeah, ready to change my life. Like you're probably going to be like, this is scary. Like I'm uncomfortable. Like I'm like, I'm in sympathetic nervous system activation mode. I'm like looking around, I'm scared, I'm shaking. I'm not listening to what, what the coach is saying because something loud happened over there on my left. And they're the kind of people that 
you're going to have a massive effect on their life if you can get through to them. So like, I want to be able to help those kinds of people, um, make, make them feel comfortable. Um, and yeah, just like once you kind of integrate them into like your systems and they're happy, they're more, they're more comfortable. Then they start opening up. Usually you find commitment starts to pick up from there because you've built rapport and trust with that individual. And then you're well on your, well on their way, well on your way to, um, helping that individual. Well said. Um, I think that especially. Oh, go ahead. Yep. Oh, I was just going to say, like, when I think that one of the most, one of the things which a lot of young coaches are skipping out on is they want to skip straight to the clients that just do what they say. They just want to skip. They just want to skip straight to the clients that do exactly what they say and don't question their methods. And I think one of the biggest, um, like, negatives with that is that you completely lose out on your ability to communicate with one, communicate with lots of people, but two, be able to articulate like the, like the hows and the why about why you go around so many of your methods. Like if I've, I've, got, I've had clients come in who are like 30 year old accountants who are like mums and stuff like that. And by the time they leave, like they're going, they're reciting like the muscle and strength pyramids and they're telling me how many calories are in this and what micronutrients they, they need to look for in their meals. And, and like what their what um what's his name what Mike Isertel's volume landmarks are, and I think that's awesome because I'm getting an individual who previously knew basically nothing and is now completely like like they they have a comprehensive framework so that even if we were to stop coaching tomorrow, even if I was to change careers or drop off the face of the earth, that person is now empowered to be able to navigate through the majority of their training nutrition for the rest of their life. So. I think that's, yeah, I think that's something which a lot of young coaches kind of skip out on. They go straight to the, oh, I just want to deal with coaches who do what I, I just want to deal with clients who do what I say because that means that I don't have to develop my communication yeah, skills as effectively. Yeah, they want the path of it's least easy, resistance. Exactly. And, but that's a great point. You want to develop a well-rounded skill set and your ability to communicate with a wide variety of individuals and solve problems accordingly. But with the clients who, in your experience, with the clients who are more resistive to change, you know, we all have experienced it. In fact, you don't even have to be a coach. You're a human being. You suggest something to somebody. Maybe they're unhealthy in some way that's deleterious to their health. You suggest this. You provide this. You communicate this way. Resist, 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 resist. With those types of clients who are more resistive Mm -hmm. to change, how do you recommend Mm -hmm. people best communicate with other human beings who are resistive? What are we doing wrong? Um, really good question. So for starters, for starters, I think this is, and like we kind of touched on this before, but sometimes that comes from we're projecting what our opinion of health is yes. or what our opinion of happiness is on that individual when it's not the case. Like I might have a client who like, yeah, they might have a little bit of extra body fat, but they're happy with it. They're fine. They enjoy beers with the boys. They've got a great family life. They've got a flourishing like work life. They sleep enough. They're, they're healthy. Like most of their like their like health markers are in check. And they're like, look, I could lose a bit of weight, but I'm happy. Like I value my beers with the boys. I like to be able to watch the Hawks get up on a Saturday and, and drink 12 carton drafts. And I like, like, like there's nothing wrong with my life. And if you're telling them change, 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 realistically, like you're the one who's in the wrong. Like that individual is perfectly happy. And they're probably just coming to you for some training because they might not even ask for nutrition intervention and you're just forcing nutritional intervention on them because you feel that that's going to make them happy. When, in re- when realistically, they just want to train a few times a week, 
build some muscle, get a bit stronger, and feel good about themselves. Um, so that's when the communication aspect comes in important and becomes really important to understand where that client's at and what they genuinely want to get out of with working with you. Um, or even if they're not working with you, like sometimes people, as you said, they're not ready for change. Um, a lot of the time, like, so like, for example, if I'm um, meeting with friends or some people who are outside of my like work kind of environment, they don't see Aaron, the coach, they just see Aaron and they'll start talking about training nutrition and things like that. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Like good on you. I'm not going to correct you. I'm not going to yeah. do anything because you're happy. You're happy just doing your thing. Like who am I to butt in and, yeah. and tell you that you're wrong. Correct. However, if they start saying, Hey, Aaron, wh what do you think about this? Or uh, what do you think about this? Have you heard of this? How does this work? I'm like, okay, now you're genuinely seeking out information. Once they're genuinely seeking out information, that's usually like they're at that first step. Like they're, they're considering making the change. And usually I'm like, I'll answer their questions and I'm like, hey, like if you'd like to like have a consultation with me, let me know. Or even better sometimes, if, especially if you're a close friend, I can recommend someone who um, is a really, really good coach who you would gel really well with. And sometimes that might be the first step. So just knowing when people are ready to make that leap and when people are potentially just happy and just want to go about their own business. I'm really impressed, Aaron, because there, there, there is a real level of uh, how do I say, ego acknowledgement and ego dampening and um, to be in that situation where you're a health professional, I'm a health professional, so we are, we think we're the knowers. I was talking to Paul Meldrum about this on my podcast, like we are the knowers. It feels good to know things and educate and teach and be on this stage and be on a platform. Feels great, ego gratifying, but in situations where you could have every reason to butt in and drop your unsolicited two cents in every second sentence where somebody talks about, you know, supplements or nutrition or, or whatever about training and health. To be able to take a step back, calm down and just sit peacefully and quietly, um, even though you could say a thousand words, but, but not needing to because no one asked you and because you don't, we don't need to ram down and force down change and information down people's throats. I just want to hammer home that point because something it's a hard lesson I've learned and I think everybody goes through it at some point or they just keep being annoying. Um, but yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's okay. My pleasure. In regards to to finish off this conversation, personal training and coaching, what do you think are the biggest gaps in knowledge that young coaches and trainers, I know we've touched on a little bit, but Yep. to conclude that they have, that you would uh, highlight? If we're talking about like really young per like co like trainers yeah, and coaches like who are just getting into the industry. And JPS too, yep. they certify students, right? To, or they, they, sorry, they deliver a set yep. three and four in fitness. What do you tell them? Yeah. Um, look, I think that one of, the one of the, like, the literal first things that you can do as a, as a coach um, to become ahead of the majority of the industry, irrespective of all the, like as coaches, like we want to be like, as you talked about, like being holistic, like there's a big appeal to being able to problem solve multiple different facets, like to be able to understand nutrition and supplements, like that's cool. That's sexy. That's fancy. But at the end of the day, if you were, if you're an 18, 19 year old and you're getting into the gym, learn, like teach your clients how to like prescribe exercises correctly and how to like 
give good technique to your clients, like teach your clients how to lift correctly and safely, and then how then teach your clients how to push with intensity and all other factors like taken out, you will still get better results than the majority of the industry just with those really basic skills of correct exercise prescription, correct exercise execution, mm-hmm. and some good old-fashioned elbow grease in the form of decent relative intensity. If you can tick those boxes as an 18 to 22-year-old, that they those are the first boxes which you need to tick because I think it's Louis Simmons there's a quote from Louis Simmons. It's like, it's like, don't, don't have a hundred pounds, a hundred pound shoes with a 10 cent squat or something like that. And it's like, don't, don't prescribe all your clients, all the supplements and make your clients know the Krebs cycle. And they're, they're still using, they're still doing goblet squats. It's like we, in order to really drive adaptation, you need to be able to deliver a disruptive stimulus to the system. And you want to do that in a safe manner by making sure that your client is executing um, with good technique um, and being able to like progressively overload their technique over the course of months and years in order to grow muscle, get fitter, get healthier. So if there was like the one, like the one kind of box, which I still just see unticked amongst so many personal trainers, especially young ones, it's like nail that first, like nail, make sure that if you're going to be a personal trainer, be good at training people because nutrition and supplements and lifestyle interventions, like they are important. They do yield results, but they're cherries on top. Because realistically, when people do come to a personal trainer, they're thinking that they're coming to you for that 30 or 45-minute session. So make sure that that 30 or 45-minute session is absolutely as good a quality as you can deliver. Because if they don't want, if they don't want all your lifestyle advice and your nutrition advice, and you're delivering a very substandard training session, then you're not delivering a very good quality product. So make sure that you can control what you can control. And what you can control 100% is the time that that client spends with you on the gym floor. That was a great way to finish. I love the fin- the conclusion on the foundations of coaching. Like, doesn't get much simpler, but also doesn't get much more effective than that. Aaron, I think this is a nice place to finish the conversation. Unless you have any last comments, thoughts, asks of our audience, or just where people can find you. Um, so you can find me, um, Aaron Hoey underscore on Instagram. I'm continually trying to buff up my online presence. I'm not a very natural kind of social media person. That's kind of one of my skill sets, which I've had to really work on the last year or two and try to improve that. So I've been trying to buff that up. Um, you can find me at like JPS health and fitness, JPS education. I have, um, various responsibilities within JPS in regards to like the education their um, mentoring and lectures. Um, and yeah, just to finalize, this is a bit of a shameless pitch, but if any of you are looking to after Orphic education, you get certified and you potentially university, you don't know if it's for you or not, you want something which is geared a lot more towards that blend of education with the practicality, the JPS mentorship is really good bang for buck. And what we try to do is we try to take all the aspects of a tertiary education that is applicable to personal training. We've tried to package that into our mentorship. So when we talk about nutrition, lifestyle interventions, health, biochemistry, training performance, it's all through the eyes of a practitioner who's giving this to their clients. Um, So I think that that's a really, really valuable resource and I'm um, really keen to see where that um, grows to in the next few years. It's such an exciting time. Just the fact that like there's never been more options 
to not put yourself in thirty, twenty, forty thousand dollars in debt, but instead you could drop a couple grand in JPS, a couple grand in Melbourne Strength Culture, a couple grand in Woodfords, a couple yeah. grand at Fifth Element Wellness, a couple grand at Athletes Authority in Sydney. I just keep reeling them off. It's like there's so many amazing Literally. private facilities. You could be a Muscle Nerds, another one, really good. Yeah. Okay. Do you got yeah. any other Muscle Nerds Foundation course? Um, so I'd say that I'd say I'm, I'm familiar with strength culture. I haven't done it. They're really good. They're really good for like execution, like like lift, um, like exercise uh, prescription, things like that. Uh, I think JPS Education, we're really good. Um, I'm a little bit biased when I say that, of course. Um, I found Muscle Nerds to be really good. However, I found Muscle Nerds, their foundation course, to be a little bit more advanced. And I think that um, Muscle Nerds would be really beneficial if you're coming from a place of decent understanding of a lot of the basics, like a lot of the big rocks. Like your biochemistry has to be relatively firm before you kind of set foot in those kind of worlds because you do start talking about um, like the biochemistry behind certain supplements. And if you struggle with your basic nutrition, your basic training, you're going to really, really struggle and a lot of it's just going to go over your head. Um, a lot of information is only really useful if you have a comprehensive framework um, which you can kind of conceptualize so that then you can apply it. Like learning things just for the sake of learning things is, mm. it's just a bit of mental masturbation and yeah. it feels good and it makes your ego really, like really pronounced, but how beneficial is it to you? It's a dangerous slope um, that we've all, I mean, I know I've been there. It's because you hey, love learning. It's so, like, so much cool shit to learn. Absolutely. 100% agree. Well, yeah, they're my go to. So yeah. Those, but that's I just want to finish with that because that's such an exciting thing where if you're a student you don't you don't have to do a degree right now like especially in this age like you can become a phenomenal coach you know by just doing a, a cert three four or just some mentorships and you'd be off to the races. Value in tertiary education system and I think we have this conversation over and over again at JPS about like the pros and cons. Like the trade-offs, the caveats between certain fields that if you want to become qualified in those fields, you have no other option than to go and do the qualification. If you want to be a doctor, like there is no amount of cert, like there's no amount of like um, private facility internships that you can do in order to actually prescribe medicine. You actually have to be a practice medical practitioner, um, a licensed medical practitioner. Sorry. Same with protected fields like dietetics and pharmacology like those fields there is definitely an advantage to going and getting a tertiary education in those fields because you become licensed and it's a protected field you can't do those jobs without the the qualification so as we kind of spoke about before it's like knowing where you want to finish up and being able to reverse engineer from there to work out where you need to be they're like there's no there's no need to put yourself thirty forty thousand dollars in debt if you want to be a really good personal trainer that being said Getting a degree does give you options down the track. You can go and do a master's and then it's only one or two years to become a dietitian or one or two years to become a physiotherapist. So understanding where you're going is still always important. Always have your finger on that pulse and thinking about the future. A very well-rounded conversation right here, Aaron Howie. Thank you so much for taking the time, my friend. It's great to meet you. And I look my forward pleasure, to our paths crossing in the future, man. You sound like a really high-quality coach and it was a pleasure to speak. Thank you very much. My pleasure, Alex. All right. Thank you, brother.
Alright, that is Aaron Hoey, ladies and gentlemen. From JPS Health and Performance. Orphic Education Podcast number 21 in the books, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Basically, a much more grounded conversation on supplementation, on on change behavior, on just the basics, uh, and a very well-rounded conversation on how we can communicate and coach and put in strategies for the everyday client and the utility of things like degrees versus private mentorships um, and, and what methodologies and principles surround them. Really was surprised, pleasantly surprised by the level of understanding sophistication by Aaron. I didn't have much context on him before, um, but definitely seems like a really high quality coach. And if you guys are in the Tullamarine area, someone to definitely look out for. As for us, Orphic Education, if you guys want to get your own Cert 3 and 4 in fitness and are serious about becoming a personal trainer and coach and want to align yourself with one of the most comprehensive, practical uh, certifications in the country, of course, that's biased, but we can prove it, we can demonstrate it, then we might be a good fit for you if you're serious. We do this podcast every Wednesday, 10 a.m. live. We've spoken to a bunch of really amazing coaches and it's just a really honorable thing and I'm so proud and honored to be able to speak to such high-level practitioners week in and week out. I kind of pinch myself sometimes to think about the future, the past, and the current present about all the amazing people I've spoken to um, throughout throughout this Orphic podcast. Uh, here's a list of all some, some of the people we've spoken to. And I hope you guys enjoyed this one. There's available on all podcast platforms, YouTube, Facebook. Thank you guys so much for listening and watching. I'm Alexander Emanuel. You can find me, my coaching, and my podcast and everything else that I do uh, by just Googling my name. Otherwise, we'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much. Much love. Stay safe. Stay strong. Stay healthy. And keep breathing. We'll be all right.